new podcast in the world. From WWE to DNA Impact. By way of the NWA, it's time for Reffing It Up. With legendary referee Brian Hebner. An all new episode starts in... This, this is Reffing It Up. Welcome back to Reffing It Up with Brian Hebner. I am the man with the magical voice, RJ. He is the man in the stripes, Mr. Brian Hebner. Brian, what's up, man? What's going on, man? What's going on? Uh, this is my first episode since uh, making the announcement of retiring as a uh, full-time referee. So um, I guess I'm living the retired life. Uh, I don't know whether to enjoy it or whether to be upset about it. So uh, it is what it is. It's done. And uh, here we are. Time to move forward. Well, at least you're going to stay busy between uh, oldest going to college in the fall, right? Well, yeah, fall, yeah. yeah. You said Tennessee, yeah. right? Yeah, he's he's going to Milligan University out in Tennessee. He's going to play some baseball. Got a baseball scholarship. Uh, really excited that about that for him, and uh, he's very excited. And uh, so, yeah, that's going to keep me very busy. And then I've got my twin daughters that are 13 years old, and I helped coach to. Uh, runner-up status uh, in the region. So we, we didn't quite make it all the way, but uh, yeah. we had a valiant try. So that was good. And uh, they're getting ready to get into the uh, eighth grade. So that's going to be trying as 13-year-old girls, which would be 14 by that time. So, yeah, I got a – The power – you got to give you, like, the last yeah. rights or something, right? Something, something. Somebody's going to probably get hurt before my life's over with. Well, let's just hope it's not you. No, it won't be me. I can tell you that. Oh, okay. Well, hey. But uh, no, is um the baseball school, is he going to, um is that, what division is that? Is that D2, D3? It's uh, NISA. It's, um, oh, okay. It's, yeah, it's a, it's actually a very, very competitive baseball league. Um, Very high competitive. Uh, I've talked to uh, Jinx, who used to work with uh, TNA and the uh, uh, Craig Jenkins on the road with us, who handled box offices and all that stuff. He actually lives out there in Tennessee. Um, and said that uh, he made one of the best decisions he could ever made. And, of course, uh, his name, we, we nicknamed him Jinx. And, of course, he lives out there, and he's like, I'm going to be his daddy on the road while y'all ain't around. Um, I'll have him go. over for some supper. You know, just uh, so, yeah, he's got a little little home to go to if he needs anything. And uh, it's, it's going to be great, man. I'm excited for him. He's he's a good kid. He deserves it. Yeah. And I'm sure it's not right around the corner, right? That's, that's probably a nice little haul for him. That's uh, five and a half, five and a half. Oh, it's not bad. I thought it would have been a little bit. So that's probably what east side of Tennessee then. It is east side. Yep. Yeah, east Tennessee good. states right over there. Oh, there you go. But this week we're going to be going over a man. You're very familiar with JBL, John Bradshaw, Layfield. But before we get to him, let's head over to our first count of this episode. All right, Brian, it's been, uh, it's been a, I don't want to say tough. I will get, we'll say tough. A little, trying week in the Hebner household between you retiring from full-time status there with the company. And then um, obviously the past, unfortunate passing of Uncle Dave. Um, how has it been, man? Obviously you come, you're back, back to it. Uh, I know we've talked on semi-regular basis, but anything, obviously floor is yours. Uh, to to chat about that um yeah man um it was a uh, i, I want to call it a roller coaster 
week. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Um, not only the passing of Uncle Dave, um, my, my announcement, and then also to put on top of all that, the passing of Timmy White. Um, so very, very trying week. And I want to first start with saying that I do apologize for not being able to uh, get myself together in a quick turnaround for our podcast last week. Um, I apologize. That was all me. Uh, I just could not get it together to, for, um, I guess for shit's sakes, I just couldn't get it together. Uh, but I guess that's expected for some people. Some people may understand it. Some people may not, but I do want to apologize and say that I'm, 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 I'm ready to go. And, uh, it was a, was a very good week, um, to end it this past week. So, um, you know, I'm ready to move forward. I've put some things behind me and I'm, I'm ready to go. And, um, that last week really started out with uh, just the, 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 it just, it was just really weird how things worked out. Um, so this was the first time me and my dad had traveled uh, heading to Nashville, which a lot of people didn't know he was coming. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course my dad's at the airport before security is. And, uh, <laughs> and it was my first time traveling in, in uh, two or three years, I think um, the time flies. So it could be three or four. I don't know. But it'd been years that since we traveled together since he had been you know left uh, impact. Mm-hmm. But uh, just to start that whole weekend off, which was just you know I, I knew it was going to be crazy with him because I knew he'd be crazy emotional, which is expected. That was his ride or die. Um, that was his right hand man. I mean, uh, they're twins, which also adds another level of uh, kind and dearness uh, as a brother and sister or brother and brother. Um, but anyway, so uh, we. Uh, get to the airport in uh, Richmond and find out our flight is delayed uh, to start things out. Of course, he doesn't handle it very well because he had never has nothing's supposed to go wrong when you travel with Earl. Uh, <laughs> so I told him to calm down. There's no reason to get upset. This is here for fun. You know, that kind of thing. I want you to enjoy yourself. You know, I had to really calm him down. He got it. He finally understood it. He was like, you know what, Brian, his exact words, you know what, Brian, you know, I'm going to do what you said. Uh, fuck it. I ain't gonna worry about nothing. I'm just gonna sit here and I'm gonna chill and I'm just gonna let things go the way they are. And I said, you know what? That's the, what you're supposed to do. So anyway, I had found out some details that he did not know of because I was working the counter, you know, trying to get us where we needed to go and found out that uh, when we got to uh, LaGuardia, the, the beautiful state of New York, LaGuardia, um, that there were no flights that were going to get us to Nashville once we got there because of all the cancellations and all the delayed flights, everything was booked. And there was nothing for us to take, not another airline, nothing. We tried. Poor Karen Hunt that works in our travel department at Impact, worked her tail off doing whatever she could. Uh, it was just not going to happen. And I knew this before we left Richmond. And I actually was not going to leave Richmond and just take some early in the morning because I could have just flown in early and just got there and went back home and got some sleep. But I didn't, and I didn't tell him. So I get on the plane and board, and we get to LaGuardia, and there we are stuck, which I already knew was going to happen. He didn't, of course. He handled it better than I thought. And uh, old Delta, old Delta gave us a hotel room while we're trapped in uh, New York, uh, 45 minutes away, downtown Manhattan. Uh, so we're 45 minutes from the airport. And uh, we're in this uh, crazy hotel that has a, uh, shall I say, a club. Um, so there was uh, people outside the hotel waiting and I could not believe that was a hotel where the, the Uber driver was dropping us off. I was like, where's this hotel? He's like right there pointing at it. And there's this line to get in. I'm like, what the hell is going on? So anyway, I found out that. And so uh, me and my dad had a good evening. We sat around and uh, had some drinks and talked and cried and uh, you know, all that kind of thing. And 
watched a, a bunch of scantily dressed chicks walk by all night, which uh, was kind of cool. And uh, got up in the morning and got to Nashville at nine o'clock in the morning. And that was our first day at the pay-per-view slam anniversary. Jeez. Are you, so what, when was call time then? So call time was probably what noon? Yeah. Well, for me, it was, uh, uh, it was, for me, it was noon. Uh, they pushed the meeting back to noon. It was supposed to be at 1130, but they pushed it back because of the, the run sheets had a problem being printed at that building. So we had to uh, wait on those. So they backed that up to 12. So I, I was there in plenty of time. I actually laid down in the bed for a few minutes. And of course, my dad comes and knocks on the door to make sure I'm awake when I was, but uh, just to, you know, check on me again. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So yeah, it was 12 o'clock. Yeah, it was, um, gee, I, I, Christ, I was watching it too. I'm like, oh man, as soon, I forgot what point they did when you were right from the match with, uh, I don't know more and, um, yeah. TNA originals. Yep. And they pan and they show Tracy Brooks and they show your dad. I'm like, oh man, I, I look, even Gavin was watching it and I said, but you got to, you got to watch Brian's last, last, last event. He's like, okay, okay, okay. He's like, my God, that's his dad. He's like, is he going to get in the ring? I said, but that's going to be my bet. I said, and it couldn't happen any better. I'm like, oh man. And I, 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 I forgot. I forgot. And my message, Daniel, I said, dude, I never, I never thought a freaking one, two, three count would have gotten me emotional. or gave me the, the, the chill bumps but as soon as that hit i'm like oh man that takes you back and it had to be a, it had to be a cool moment for you and your dad to be in the ring no no it did i tell you man he he was so funny um uh I, and i know this show's not about me and him at this point but i mean or or, or, no, or all day but uh this is count one so we can talk about what we want but anyway yeah. um i remember hearing what they wanted to do they came to me about it and uh asked me was i cool with it and I was like, of course, yeah, this is great, you know. And then um, me and Eddie Edwards actually uh, kind of put things together. And um, I, my, my goal was to make things as simple as I could for him. Mm -hmm. Because he doesn't move around as well as he used to, obviously. And he's older. And I wanted to make things where he didn't look like a fool. You know what I mean? I just didn't. And the way I laid it out was exactly the way it went until he decided he wanted to throw uh, – he wanted to change the script. So – I was supposed to take my ref bump where uh, Kenny King pulls me out. And if you guys didn't see the pay-per-view, it was uh, actually a really good pay-per-view, by the way. Yeah. Uh, not, not because of what happened with me, just the, the overall pay-per-view was actually phenomenal. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I do a one-two and I get pulled out and take a face bump onto the outside of there. Well, my dad was supposed to come around, get to me. And the story there was he was there because this was my last match on pay-per-view. Uh, so the story made sense. Uh, he came around to check on me just to make sure I was okay. And then realized that there was a finish going on and there was no referee. No one ran down. I wasn't getting up. And I put it to where he was right beside the steps. And all he had to do was crawl in the ring and count one, two, three. Just that simple. Well, all of a sudden he starts telling me while I'm on the floor, Brian, I think I'm going to go up the steps. And I said, why are you going to go up the steps? <laughs> I, I think it would be better for the people when I, when I take my shirt off and everybody will be able to see it. I'm like, Daddy, you, you, we, we talked about this all day. Yeah, but I think I'm, I'm, I think I'm gonna do. It. I said, you know what? Just do what the fuck you want. I said, but don't go yet. He got ready to go, and it wasn't his time to go. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, I'll tell you when to go. So now I'm not even selling anymore. So I'm hoping the camera doesn't show me because I'm not selling anymore. I'm worried about him getting a spot in that. Yeah. And all of a sudden I go, go. Now you gotta go. Now you gotta go. 
you want me to go now? I said, go. So anyway, he takes off. He goes up the steps. And while I'm, I'm watching, and he's teetering on the, on the, uh, on the apron there. Yeah. And I see, I see Nick Aldis go and grab him by his back of his arm and steadies him up. There's where he's like able to get his footing. And then all of a sudden he pulls that shirt off and it's got the referee shirt underneath. He dives on in. It's tripped up by the rope, which is great. And fantastic. Just, <laughs> just classic fucking Earl. And uh, just counts one, two, three. And then, uh, of course, we had that memorable moment that we were shared in the middle of the ring and uh, yeah. pointed up at Uncle Dave, which we knew he's down there watching or up there watching. Sorry. Yeah. Um, it was just, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a really cool moment. And, uh, I, I tell you, um, I really, really appreciate impact, uh, Scott Moore for them just allowing us to kind of do what we wanted to do. I mean, he really did. He let us do what we wanted to do, how we wanted to do it and gave us that moment. And it, and it wasn't about us, uh, but he let it be about Dave and, and our, our history with, uh, you know, you know, our having our history and, uh, mm-hmm. just a wonderful moment. And, uh, it was great, man. A lot of emotions, a lot of emotions. Yeah, and he was even at ringside too for that match. He was on commentary with uh, with uh, Matthew Raywald and um, Scott uh, Tom Hatt or Tom, Tom, Tom Yeah. So I'm like, oh, it could have it couldn't happen at a better during a better match and what have you. And even even you had the main event too between Josh and Eric. And holy crap, was that a banger of a match too? What a way to go out though. No man, I I tell you, um, I can't tell you the last match I did because. It's not air jet, but, uh, you know, the, the, when it was really time for me to let my emotions out, which I kind of had to hide all weekend because if I got upset, my dad would really get upset. Yeah. So I had to play Mr. Strong guy and everything's going to be okay. And that kind of thing. And then, uh, finally I had, uh, 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 you have to wait. I can tell you the match. You just don't, you can't know the finish, right. but it was, uh, it was a classic, classic Frankie Kazarian versus Chris Saban. Oh, um, uh, 20 minutes long TV match. Um, un, unbelievable. Uh, when this airs, you have to see it. But that was the match, I, my last match I did uh, for Impact Wrestling on TV. And it was the only match I did. Uh, that was the boringest day ever for me because I had the last match of the night, which consisted of me being there again at noon until probably 10 o'clock at night, which was unreal. Mm-hmm. Well, we do the match and I... Uh, you know, I worked my ass off on purpose. Not that I don't ever not work my ass off, but I just really wanted to, I wanted to just go all out. You know what I mean? And, uh, I did. And, um, Frankie actually, uh, cause Kaz, cause Aaron, however you guys at home want to, you know, relate to his name. Um, actually I didn't know this requested me to be in his last match, you know, for, for me to be in his, my last match for them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, which I thought was really, really cool. And after the match, they, uh, called me back in the ring and, uh, started to make me cry. Uh, they started to talk all kinds of good things and, uh, really, really put me over and thank me for my, my contributions to the business and, uh, just really cool things. And, uh, I was doing really well, really well. And then, uh, all of a sudden I happened to just turn around and Lord behold, here comes the entire locker room mm-hmm. filing out with a cake and balloons and all that stuff. And I, I lost my shit then. Uh, <laughs> I did. I really did. Uh, it all came together with Dave and, just, just, just the camaraderie there is just unbelievable. And, uh, I was really, really hoping to get away with that shit. I thought it was close to being done. Like I just really thought I was going to escape it, Yeah, but it didn't escape me. And, um, it was, it was, it was, it was awesome. It was awesome for me. Uh, I, I really wish they had it on video because I'd love to have that video, at least send it to you yeah. and let you check it out because it's, it's, it's really incredible. They, they just said so many incredible things about me and my dad and, uh, 
very, very emotional, very emotional. And I let it out. I did. I let it go. It was time for me to let, let something out. And so uh, yeah. that did it. That did it. That put me over the top. So it was a wonderful weekend, wonderful weekend. And I'm um, very blessed. I am very, very blessed. And I do want to thank Impact Wrestling and everybody in that locker room uh, for just the uh, overwhelming support they have for me. Yeah, even, even Tommy Dreamer said on Busted Open, uh, I believe it was Monday morning um, after the pay-per-view. He's like, yeah, my hands are still hurting from slapping the mat so hard. I'm like, well, and that's why I sent you. I'm like, oh, well, you, you, made, you made that uh, the made, made the Monday call there. So, <laughs> Awesome. But uh, it was something else that came out last week, this past weekend. Um, we saw EW Forbidden Door. Uh, we also heard about the uh, working relationship between MLW, Major League Wrestling, and Impact as well. So it's always been in the back of everybody's mind, okay, we get the combination of New Japan as well as AEW with Forbidden Door pay-per-view, and then MLW and Impact as well. Dude, it's not, it, there's not a bad time to be a wrestling fan right now. It really isn't. You're getting all these great wrestling matches. No, it's not. It's actually the the the, the door so far open. I, I get confused now. Yeah. Um, it's just uh, yeah, it's awesome for a fan, man. It really is. Um, I just uh, sometimes I, I like I said, I get lost. I I get lost, and I'm thinking, well, I thought that they were working with those guys, and I thought that we're working with our guys. I, you know what I mean? Like, so it gets a little muddled to me, but that's not a bad thing. What I'm saying is, there's always a surprise because the door, like I said, is wide the fuck open. You know, mm -hmm. so it's it's. I don't think you call it a forbidden door anymore. No, I think it's more of like a forbidden Open garage door. door. It's like a garage door at this point. But yeah, it's also it's 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 great for the business though because we were seeing guys like for Okada working here in the states. It's crazy. I don't think he's worked here for a major U.S. promotion since he worked in Impact or he's TNA. Really, yeah, man, he he's really changed since he was there. Uh, I mean, Okada, I love that guy. I loved him. Uh, and what a great talent he was then. And now he's just developed so much and uh, he looks totally different. And I think it's wonderful. He's here. I do. I think it's wonderful. Yeah. And even with the, with the MLW and uh, working with impact too, it's just the possibilities. I've been always a huge fan uh, of the Von Erich brothers, Marshall as well. And it's just, dude, it's just unreal where the possibilities of that tag team Marshall brothers coming into or excuse me, the uh, Von Eric brothers coming into impact the likes of, you know, the good brothers, more shitty machine guns. And it's just like, dude, it's just endless amount of possibilities at this point. Yeah. So let me ask you this. So now, now I'm flipping the podcast around here and I want to ask you a couple of questions. Um, were you able to watch forbidden door? I did. So I, I was not able to, I wasn't, I, once again, I was just, uh, yeah, just 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 having my moments. Yeah. Um, so, what uh, what did you think? I've heard some mixed reviews. Um, so I'm just wondering what you think. I thought I was really watching for uh, good, bad, and different. I was watching for two matches. It I was watching for that uh, the um, four way for the or New Japan uh, heavyweight title between Jay White, Okada, uh, and uh, Adam Cole and Hangman Page. Watch that one. I watched Thunder Rosa and Tony Storm, as well as uh, the tag three, the triple, the tri quad or the triple threat for the tag titles. Winner take off with FTR uh, as well, dude. 
I didn't watch. I ended up falling asleep because I had, I had to get up for work early, obviously, as you know. So I didn't watch the entirety of it all. But I ended up going back and watching it. Honestly, there really wasn't a bad a match from top to bottom, in my opinion. Everybody worked their asses off. Christ, we even had uh, we had uh, Lance Archer on the ma- on the pre-show, and he had a hell of a match. And I'm like, holy crap! It's the roster's so deep at this point, and I, I think it's a lot of people find that bad because there's just so much talent. You know, we saw Claudio come back face of Zack Saber Jr. That's been blowing up the internet. Uh, and a lot of people are like, oh, this is just WWE part two. And I'm like, well, yeah, you're telling me you're starting a promotion and you're seeing all these guys getting released from WWE and you're not going to sign them. You, you can't tell me that. But yeah, well, what is, what, is, what is it these people want them to do though? They want them to not work. Well, but that's the thing. It's like, I, I know they made a good buck or whatnot with WWE, but it's just like, you don't want them to go overseas. Oh no. You just don't want them to go to AEW because that's basically where all the secondary released talent go from WWE. I'm like, no, they're going there because it's a good paycheck. You know, you know what I mean? And it's national exposure, worldwide exposure. Anything yeah, I, right now is worldwide exposure. You can go from impact to MLW to new Japan to wherever you're going to have exposure, whether that's through social media, whether it's through YouTube, whether through any of these, you know, impact plus whatever you're going to get exposed to it. You're going to have a- NWA is a sleeper out there, man. You know that. No, I do. I, you know, there's, there's, there, there, there's something I was really surprised about on that pay-per-view um, that I would have bet money. Um, I cannot believe at some extent we didn't see Kenny Omega. Yeah. I, I, I don't know what's going on with that. Um, and, and Jonah. I don't know where Jonah was. Well, I think um, Jonah, I don't think he's officially signed anywhere, but Scott about rooming your innuendo has it that he's going overseas to work for next man. Oh, 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 okay. I thought you meant to Australia. I was like, oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. To work over in Japan. That was my understanding. That's what I heard. But that was also after, you know, that last run he had there with Impact after he, you know, with PCO, that run he had with PCO. But, you know, man, at this point, a lot of people can, whether they work with AEW, they can pretty much have an open door policy anywhere else. Because you you saw it. You saw a lot of the guys come from, uh, 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 impact to go to AEW, AEW to impact. You've seen it for the last two years. Yeah. I mean, I really love like, you know, when we get those genuine guys at impact, like, like, cause Frankie came back, you know, yeah. um, who cares so deeply about the product? I mean, we, you know, at slam reverse, we, we saw AJ do the video, mm-hmm. um, WWE allowed him to do that, which was incredibly nice of them and all that. And then if we go back to our pay-per-view, what I'm really shocked at for us, um, and, and I can't believe it, and I listened to I, actually his podcast, uh, not, I didn't finish it while I was at the gym today, and um, he pretty much stated he wasn't invited, but I can't believe that Jeff Jarrett wasn't there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was shocked, too. I don't know. Even if he just didn't be invited to do a, a, a video like Kurt was, 
uh, AJ was, even though their their contracts, I don't know if Kurt is, I, I don't think Kurt is, but even though he's with even AJ's contracted, yeah. at least you could do is say, Hey, let's send a video or something. Cause he was, as you, you know, I don't have to tell you, it's just so instrumental in getting Instrument, TNA. Instrumental. He owned it. Yeah. No, instrumental. He invented it. Yeah. So it's <laughs> like, mean, you had Dixie there, which I, it was good to see Dixie. I will say that. Well, I actually got but, to sit down and talk to Dixie uh, yeah. because I wasn't working except the last match that on that taping. Uh, no, 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 no. Wait a minute. This is pay-per-view. I'm sorry. It was just yeah. running together. Sorry. I had a long time because um, I only had the two matches that you mentioned, actually. Yeah. And uh, so I had a long time between those two. And uh, I actually got to sit down and talk to her. And uh, um, it, it was nice, man. I mean, um, you know, I, I, I have said some things about Dixie never meaning anything harmful to her or whatever. Um, just using, you know, just just being truthful about things that we've talked about here on our podcast. And uh, um, she's such a nice lady, such a sweet lady. And, uh, you know, I always think and go back to just wonder, like, if things would have been different. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. when you go back to one of these shows, 20 year anniversary and you, and you and you sit there and you look around who's there. I mean, um, you know, Billy Corgan was there as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dixie was there. I mean, you know, and, and Scott and, and there's, there's a picture that was floating around that Scott put out where they're all three together and unbelievable. I mean, just, uh, just, just unbelievable. Um, but, it, but it just makes you wonder sometimes what if, uh, mm. you know, for that, for that company. And it's just, you know, cause I was so involved with it at some point, you know, you, they're doing wonderful. I'm not saying anything like that at all. What, what I'm saying is, but they were doing so, so much more wonderful at some point where if that ride could have continued or, stayed the same or whatever it may have been and still been in the capacity it's at now, as far as like even Scott running it, um, man, it would have been, you know, something, something really special, but you know what? I think they're going to get there. I really do. I think they're going to get there. I think the leadership of Scott, I think the backstage people such as D'Lo Brown and Gail Kemp. Um, I, I just think that the, all the people around him um, and, and I, I, I just can't stress, you know, storm uh, storm. He's, he's just, um, yeah. No, 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 uh, no. Not Jim Storm. Um, gosh. Tim Storm? No, Storm, Lance Storm, sorry. Oh, Lance Storm. <laughs> there's, a, there, there's a lot of storms. Uh, yeah. But anyway, Lance Storm, just a great mind back there. And, um, you know, and he, he came to me too and was like, hey, uh, get to uh, agent your last match. And I'm like, yes, you do. Uh, so just uh, he's got incredible people around him and Scott does such a good job. He's a hardworking man and, I think it's going to be fine. That's not, you know, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just yeah. saying, you know, they deserve, they deserve to do some big things. And I think they are, I really do. I think they're going to do some big things and they're doing a lot of changes in certain areas in the company. Um, this was happening while I was there and I know it's happening as I'm gone. Uh, so it's, it's, it's really good to see. And I know we're going back and forth with different you know, conversations and things like that, but I just want to, just want to say that kind of stuff just because, you know, that company's meant a lot to me. And I don't know if uh, people heard on my, my, my podcast that I made the announcement, you know, this, this me retiring at impact wrestling was by design. And, and it really was, this is where I wanted to retire. And I'd always said it to people and all my good friends would tell you this. Um, some people thought I should have gone what they quote unquote should have gone bigger and retired there. You know what? No impact is bigger. Um, mm-hmm. It's my family. It's my family. And that's, that's where I wanted to do what I'm doing uh, right now. And that's uh, uh, not working for anybody full time. So, mm-hmm. Once again, I guess we can move on after this or whatever you else you want to say, but uh, I really just want to stress, and I'm sorry about that, but I just really want to stress, thank yeah, you, sure. Impact Wrestling, and uh, you guys are awesome. And I'll, 
I'll, I'll, I'll always maybe do a once or thing and uh, do something again. And Scott whispered in my ear uh, and he actually tweeted it. Uh, if you ever feel froggy, don't be, don't be afraid to jump. So there you go. We'll never see. say ne- never, say never. Right, Brian? Not, not in the wrestling business. You don't No, You can't say that now, but one guy that never said never was Mr. JBL. So let's head up to the second count of this episode right now. We couldn't come back to a better dude this week, man. JBL, one of the low key, one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. I know came to uh, Rosa prominence there in uh, WWE, WWF during the attitude era. Do you really think that that was the best time for him to officially like really become what he would become later on? Do you think attitude era was the best time for him to get in there? I do, man. Um, I know we're going to dig into this, you know, and I know you're going to get into some of his uh, career and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, when you go back and you look and you see the things and the things that he went through and the things he did to finally get to the WWE, it's incredible to me. Um, You know, I don't know, you know, and I was sitting around while I was doing the research as well and just thinking about wrestlers today. And I don't think that I know of many. And I'm being serious, and, and I'm going to stop apologizing from now on. Um, but if you take it to heart, then fucking take it to heart. Um, <laughs> and if you're taking it to heart, then maybe you're the one I'm talking about. Yeah, right. But I don't know too many guys in this business nowadays, the way that the business is so different than what it was back then, is that they would go through all these things that he went through to get to the WWE before they would either A, quit, or B, just realize they're not, they're not going to make it and settle for something different. Um, because it's just a, a it's a story tale of history, and I mean it's just unfreaking believable. And I know you're going to go into details, and people will understand this more as you get into it. But my God, what a journey this guy had! What a journey! Well, it's just it started at Abilene Christian University. He comes from Sweetwater, Texas, first of all, so you know he's a badass when you come from Texas, because everything's bigger in Texas. And boy, oh boy, it was JBL. Big dude. I didn't realize how big he was until you physically met him in person. For me, anyways. Obviously, working with him, you knew right off the bat. Well, first of all, he, he he's going to tell you and everybody else that he's a badass. Uh, <laughs> right. But he is a badass. But, uh, but no, Abilene Christian, it was, uh, I know all about that stuff now. Uh, just from me and, him, me and him hanging out and talking. And once again, we'll dive into that later. But, uh, but yeah, so... He's a huge Texas fan. Me and him uh, went at it, went at it. We'll get to that later. But, uh, and I'll explain all that why. But, but yes, big, big Texas boy. But you really made it big there. And, the, you know, because that was that <laughs> North Texas, Abilene Christian, just that football ask area. You know, he ended up getting drafted even by the Raiders in 1990. So it goes to show you how good he was in the football in, in football before you even got into wrestling and yeah. it's just Under, like unreal underrated athlete underrated seriously oh, um yeah. i mean don't get me wrong he, he he's, he's nothing like your guys today mm-hmm. and uh that's what made him great but you know and then obviously you know first game to shove 1993 came around he ended up going over versus first trip overseas to japan um wrestling over there with C- and wrestled CMML, CMLL, excuse me, in Mexico. 
dude literally did it all before he made it to the Federation as they would come to be named uh, 95 there as just or John Hawk Layfield. And it's just like, I had to go back and watch this stuff because, you know, he'd make his debut uh, television debut in 96 as just Justin Hawk Bradshaw and uh, dude defeated Bob Holly. Can you imagine two bigger badasses in the wrestling business and Bob Holly and Bradshaw. Oh, that, that, that's, that, that's, it's ironic that that's the uh, debut match on TV. It is. It's, right. it's ironic. Uh, yes. Two, two badasses, two badasses. And uh, I'm sure they, uh, I didn't, I, I didn't see the match. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm sure they wrangled it up though in there. Well, but the thing is between <laughs> having his debut match there with, with Holly and then being a, a three-time tag team champion with Farouk Ron Simmons, Holy shit. And I'm sure they could still go now, or at least they try to still go now. Crazy. I think Bradshaw is what, 55 years old. You know, Ron probably could do still go. I'm like, I'm I'm not messing with him. There's three guys. Well, off the top of my head, I'm sure there's more, but there's three guys. I don't want to mess with the wrestling business. Ron Simmons, JBL and Jerry Briscoe. Yeah, uh, that's a good list. That is, <laughs> that's a good list. Uh, but I can tell you, as far as JBL coming back and doing anything, that guy's in Bermuda with his boots up and uh, playing golf, uh, putting his golf shoes on for that. And um, involved in a lot of things over there in Bermuda, um, doing some good things over there. And he's he's a good guy, man. He's giving back. And, you know, I, I know he's done some things uh, commentary-wise, things like that with WWE, but – I don't think you'll ever see him in that ring again. Whether he could do it or not, I, I can't answer that. And I don't know that. But if I was a guest, I would say that that's never going to happen. In this business, I know you say never, but I'm going to say that's never going to happen. Do you think he would, uh, knowing him the way you know him, do you think he would ever come back in like a managerial role? Or do you think it's, if he's coming back, he's getting in the ring? No, I don't think. I, I don't. I don't. I, I think, no. You, what you'll see him in is a commentary role type thing and and that's it i don't think no i know jbl and when he says he's done he's done which i absolutely love to love him in com- commentary though whether it's the pre-show or whether he's there on smackdown dude i'm like oh if you wanted to get your prototypical heel commentator he's it man no he's awesome he's great man he is it, it, but and I, we, we may be a little bit all across the board here, but it's just like something's going to come to me. I got to get it out. But you know, 96 in September in your house, mind games, strat match against uh, Savio Vega. Holy crap. They literally beat the shit out of each other. And keep in mind, this is 96. So this is about the same time when I, I don't know if you remember is when they had ECW was there. You know, Tommy Dreamer was there. Sandman was there. And that was a whole fiasco, if you remember that, of the pay-per-view, where I, I know Bruce Pritchard talked about it on his show, where, you know, you go out there and say Bakwit, because nobody knew about it, that ECW was, it was planned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm involved with that. You talking about the invasion? No, this was in 96. Oh, okay, 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 sorry. Because that was part of uh, that, where it's like Briscoe was going to go out there and beat the shit out of him. Because Heyman was in Heyman and and um, 
Pritchard were the only ones that really knew. And of course, probably Vince, but it's just like, dude, that's, I, I, why would you want to mess with Bradshaw? You know, out of all people. And even Savio knew too, because Savio was like, yeah, we got to hold them, hold back the Texan, hold back the Texan. I'm like, hey, yeah, you can try his shit, but yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. No, it's, 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 it's crazy, man. And, uh, you know, I know I, you know, I've, I've, I've talked to specific people about this, this situation and all that. And, uh, I, I, you know, shit happens, bro. Shit happens. And, um, uh, <clears throat> some people pick a fight with the wrong person. Uh, so I just, you know, Hey, it is what it is, man. Um, this won't be the last time you'll ever hear about something like this happen. Oh yeah. Do you have any, um, uh... Any stories about people actually trying to try Bradshaw? Yeah, me. Okay, now, now you got it. Now you got it. Now you got to tell it. No, no, I'm serious. I'm dead serious. Now, of course, it never got anywhere because I'm faster than he is. <laughs> but uh, I would, I, no, me, me and him had a good relationship. We did. And um, I guess to initiate it was, uh, you know, I was being dared to do things to Bradshaw. And, I, you know, when, I, when you're young, man, you just have to kind of do what you're asked. You know what I mean? And uh, so I would do some things to him and he would say, I really truly believe it. I thought about this as I was going back and thinking about things with, with JBL. <laughs> I really think that he's the one that came up with my name of baby. Um, okay. Really? I really do. Uh, I don't think, cause I really don't think he knew my name, uh, but he just knew I was a Hebner. And, but anyway, long story short, you know, you'd hear him. He'd say, Hey baby, Hebner, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to fuck your shit up. And I'm like, yeah, okay, okay, big boy. You know, that kind of stuff. And uh, obviously don't mean any of this shit. I mean, I'm just talking out my ass because that's what I'm told to do. Right. But anyway, uh, not 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 the border situation because it's not a great, great story. It was just me ribbing him. And, of course, he didn't appreciate it. He came after me. And, uh, yeah, I took off around the arena like you've never seen in your life. <laughs> so, the, what, ballpark, was this around, like, 2004, 2005? Or was this, like, earlier on before you were, like, full-time SmackDown? No, no, no. This was this was this was earlier on, but not not uh, like like two thousand three. Oh, okay, okay. So earlier on, okay. Uh, so ninety seven comes around. He forms a uh, storyline. Forms the new Blackjacks with his cousin Barry Windham. So you put new in front of anything that usually means that it's not going to really pan out to anything. The, I absolutely love the the new Blackjacks. To be honest with you, ninety seven. You know, it's something to pay homage to the family. You know, they have the traditional black or the blackjack uh, handlebar mustaches. You know, unfortunately, I can't grow one as good as they can. But, dude, what, what were your thoughts? You know, Bradshaw traveled here and there between here and the USWA as well. But, dude, new blackjacks, what did you think of them? Well, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I Honestly, I knew who Barry Wyndham was. Right. But it was very un- unfamiliar territory when it came to Bradshaw at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was like a new character for me. And I absolutely loved it. I, I thought it was wonderful. Um, I really did. It was um, old school feel, which I've always been an old school guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, always. Um, it had an old school feel to it. And these guys, Bradshaw back then would beat the shit out of people. You know what I mean? And it was right. freaking wonderful. And just having Wyndham with them gave them that, just that rub of, old school and just uh just a phenomenal team in my in my opinion yeah 
you know, it's just one of those things too. It's like two of these guys too. It's like a kind of look into the future a little bit too, because he'd always have that some sort of a cowboy esque association to his character, whether it be, you know, the, you know, the heel JBL we'd see here later in 2004, 2005 and going forward. Or if it was, you know, with this character with, with, with Barry, but he did travel down the USWA too and get formed up uh, to, formed up a relationship with uh, his former manager, Dutch Mantel, known in WWF as Uncle Zebediah. Uh, dude, I don't think there was a better pairing than Dutch and, and, and Layfield. Dutch is so amazing, man. Uh, yeah. Dutch is awesome. Uh, I had the honor and the privilege of working with him at uh, TNA. Mm -hmm. uh, and what a smart guy. Um, I, I used to love to just corner that guy at catering and would just act like there was nowhere to sit and just kind of like sneak in there. And, uh, and he really liked me, which was cool. So, uh, you know, and I felt that. So that's why I felt like it was okay to just go sit down and um, man, just listen to that guy talk. Um, I remember him telling me uh, that Abyss came to him one day and said to him, and this may be a story that everybody knows, maybe old at this point, but it, it, it was great to me. And uh, he said, you know what Abyss, Abyss said to me the other day? And I said, no. He goes, hey, did you see my last match? And he looked at Abyss and he goes, well, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the kind of guy he was. You know, and Abyss meaning my last match that I just did. Did you see my last match? And he's like, yeah, I hope so. So, uh, <laughs> you know, just, 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 just Dutch was just a great guy. And, and yeah, and pairing him with Bradshaw was just like, that's that, that, that. I don't think anybody had to think through that process. That was just like, let's just put him and him together and boom, let's have this. So, I mean, yeah, awesome, awesome pairing. Because they just work so well together. And, you know, and, and we'll fast forward a little bit here to uh, November of 98. He gets paired up uh, with former nation, a domination member and leader, Farouk, a.k.a. Ron Simmons. They formed the Acolytes. Um, they would be managed by the Jackal, which would be Cyrus the Virus. And uh, your protege there in, in, uh, uh, in, in TNA there, too, for a little while, too, right? You have any run-ins yes. with Jackal? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. But, uh, you know, what was your thoughts on – this was more of a, a, a dark duo tag team. You know, at this time, they're all about, um, you know, the gothic characters in the, uh, in the WWF at that time in 98, you know, full-blown into the Attitude Era. Dude, I, there was just something about it. I'm like, they were cool, but it's just like, what the hell's going on? No, I'll, I'll just say this. Uh, the pairing, obviously, as we'll talk about in a few minutes, was absolutely amazing when it came to what it came to. Mm -hmm. This was fucking garbage, in my opinion. Right. Uh, I, I didn't, I didn't like it at all. I had a hard time following it, and just it wasn't. When you turned for me, when you turned it on and you saw them come out doing the gimmick with the the, the darkness and the, uh, the the painting the symbols on their chests and all that stuff, it wasn't them. You, you could tell it was like a forced, it was like a forced act. You know what I mean? And the, it, and you could just tell, and I could tell as a fan at the time. So, I mean, it wasn't not awful it was just right. it wasn't fucking good right well to me anyways it was more of like okay they're kind of wasting their talent because you know they could go you know they could work and it's just like you're gonna put them behind all these guys you're gonna put them in the corporate ministry with taker and all the rest of his guys there but it's just like you're wasting these guys talent but 
we would obviously see them get thrust into the uh, tag team division here when they would end up winning their first WWF tag team championships by defeating X-Pac and Kane uh, May 31st, 99 on Raw. Uh, but they would lose it a few months later on the 5th of July to the Hardy Boys. Dude, I don't... Do you really think that they should have won more? T- they only won it three times together. Do you think that they could have won it a lot more? Or do you think that, you know, by 2002, that, you know, the, you know, bloomer off the rose, I guess you could say, and they kind of wanted to go each their own ways. Do you think they should have just stayed with the tag team division or, you know, had that plan split in 2002? I mean, there's two ways of looking at it. I mean, honestly, um, you know, when they were, when they were the acolytes, you know, the, 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 the real acolytes, the, the, the gimmick, the gimmick boys where not, they weren't the creepy boys, the ministry guys or whatever. Um, they didn't need titles. Like people would pay to see them because damn, you know what I mean? That, you know, they would come to see them. Um, and then again, you look at the situation and the way things evolved. You know, I don't know if anybody remembers that match that they had with public enemy. Uh, I remember that. Oh yeah. Doesn't work for me, brother. Oh, wow. (laughs) You're going through the table anyways. (laughs) Wow. Um, If you ever get the, the, the treat of going back and putting on YouTube, uh, APA versus uh, public enemy, uh, you'll really, really see what happens when people go off script. Uh, (laughs) Let's put it that way. Um, Just uh, they were determined to, because these guys had no respect when they came in. Um, People didn't think they deserved to be there. It's one of those deals. You know, I'm not one of the boys, so I can't tell you exactly what everybody thought and what was going on. But I know it wasn't a, um, uh, I know it wasn't a party for those guys backstage. And I think that uh, they wanted to show the locker room out there and wanted to beat the shit out of them. And uh, they did. It was uh, absolutely uh, <laughs> wonderful to watch. <laughs> it's always wonderful, wonderful to watch when you're in the back, when you're not even involved with the match. It's great, right? I, I'm just glad I wasn't the ref. Shit. <sighs> I, I, I'm not messing with JBL. Like I said before, JBL's on that list. I'm not messing with him. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, so 2004 that they'd reassemble JBL and Ron Simmons together on SmackDown. Um, but they'd basically lose the your fired match against Rikishi and Scotty Tuhati. Um, so this is the first time that we really see that heel character coming out of Bradshaw. Were you in favor? Did you like that they're finally starting to, you know, give Bradshaw a little bit of a push here on the heel side? No, they, they were. Um, they wanted to see what he could do. And Bradshaw's a natural heel. I mean, period. Um, no, I, I, I felt like this was a good move by, by, by WWF. Uh, I really did. I felt like this was a good move. Um, Ron was already an established guy at this time anyway, on a single career that he started in WCW mm-hmm. and uh, made his, you know, put his name on the map by winning the you know, world title. Uh, and then getting to the, to the Fed is what they called it back then. And, uh, you know, people, people knew who Ron Simmons were and people were starting to establish after all these things that Bradshaw did who he was, you know what I mean? So I think you're, 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 you're taking two top talents and you split them up and you're getting more money out of your, out of your pay. Mm. Yeah. And I, and I think too, 2004 is, will go down. I think as JBL's best year in the business, because 
we're going to be talking about his match here at Judgment Day 2004 against Eddie Guerrero for the title that you were a part of. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But he had uh, just match, a top match with Eddie that was just so, so goddamn good. You know, he had the Texas Bull Rope match at Great American Bash. Um, and he had matches with Kurt. He had matches with Undertaker. He had matches with Booker T. And it's just like, holy shit. He literally has done it all up to this point in the company. Uh, yeah. He would form the cabinet in 2004 uh, with Orlando Jordan. Uh, he had Amy Weber there. He had uh, the Basham brothers. 2004 to 2006 was our run. No, it was, it was, it it was good. I I didn't want to stop you, but I do want to stop you real quick. I I, I want to, you might be proud of me when I tell you this too. Uh Something that, uh, I know. um, (laughs) So something that uh, was really under the mat that doing my research, uh, you know, nobody realized that he held that WWE championship for 280 days. Oh yeah. He he had 280 days, John Brashaw Layfield held that title. Yeah. But keep, keep in mind, if you go back and watch uh, uh, ECW One Night Stand 2005, Heyman always makes that joke about Bradshaw. Because Bradshaw, if you go back and watch, I'm not going to get into it too much because you're going in the weeds, but Bradshaw was on that anti ECW crusade with him and Bischoff and everybody. So, he basically says the only Heyman that is basically said the only reason that JBL was that was a champion for that long is because Triple H didn't want to work Tuesdays, <laughs> and well, it still pops me to this day when I watch it. But it's like okay, it's kind of I guess it's some truth to it, but you know you got to put it on somebody other than you know Kurt or Eddie or Taker. Uh, you know, Benoit was over there at a time, but you know, JBL was that heel. And when your current crop of guys really want to know how to get over as a heel, go watch JBL 2004 to basically 2006, because he was badass man. And he made you hate him. No, he did. And I, and I tell you, that this is another little story here uh, uh, with just uh, me and Bradshaw's, um, I, I don't know, uh, our little, I guess we'll call it our, our, our Bradshaw Hebner uh, episode uh, mm-hmm. where, you know, we were, we were actually in Texas at a bar. He found this little bar somewhere and I went with him and uh, I'll never forget it. Um, and it was one of those force deals where like, you know, you're coming kind of thing where, you know, I was kind of wanting to play some cards right. and uh, he wanted to go out because it was a big Texas game on. And uh, <laughs> so he was in his hometown too, as well. And so we went out to a bar and it was a little one. It was on campus. It was like this uh, like small, not big place, you know, just a, I don't know, like say 10 tables and a bar kind of thing. TVs everywhere uh, on campus. And, uh, we had started drinking and watching the game and all that. And, and I remember being, you know, just a little tipsy, you know, nothing major. And I remember saying to him, and this is when he was going through his run where he was just doing really well. And I said, you know, Bradshaw, you know how many people hate you? And he says, well, I love it, baby. Ebner. I love it. 
And I said, well, I know you do. And I said, but you know what's going to happen before you get out of this business. If you're to flip and turn and become a baby face, how much bigger that's going to be? Because the more you're hated, the more you're loved. Mm-hmm. And he sat there and told me it'll never happen. And I said, why? He said, because he doesn't want it. He's a heel. And he's going to go down as a heel. And I found that like really, really, really amazing because mm-hmm. what wrestler in this business has ever want to just be known as a heel and not get that baby face reaction at some point in your career, come down the ramp where people just pop for you instead of boo for you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. What wrestler has that not doesn't have that aspiration. And, and he's one of a man and one of a kind that just did not give two shits about being a baby face. And I just found that conversation great. I mean, it, it, obviously there was more integral parts of it and all that stuff, but, but my God, in a nutshell, that's what he said. He said, I, I will never be a baby face. You know, just, when you said that, there's two guys that really came up to mind that really did good business as heels. And, you know, we're so-so as baby faces. Um, two guys that you know very well, are, uh, Randy Orton and uh, Triple H. Hell of a heel in their respective ways. But when they were faces, it's like, eh, okay, I'm not really, you know, I'm not really into it. Yeah, but, but, but. Triple H was over as shit, dude. Right. When he became a babyface, Randy Orton was over as shit. Now, I'm not saying it didn't get old because you were ready for that heel character, but I'm just right. saying they they still got that moment. Bradshaw never got that moment except as a tag team. I'm talking about right. as an individual. Oh, individual. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he 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 never wanted it, and he never got it. He never did. So mm-hmm. it's it, it's just amazing to me that. The guy just knew his role and really embraced it and just said, I'm a fucking heel and that's what I'm going to be. So, you know, a lot of times in the wrestling business, a lot of people will say, okay, the character that they play on screen is similar to what they are in real life. The real person, how much of JBL, the character is really plays up John Layfield in real life. I'd say 50 to 60% of him on screen is what he is in real life yes yes okay uh, the be, man's smart badass. yeah yeah the man's smart the man has uh got a book he can show you how to make money he knows how to make money um he's got money um uh, he can be a dick um you know it's but but he could also be a and i and i i don't even want to put this word in a character or vocabulary with jbl but but he can be a sweetheart. You know what I mean? Like he can be a nice dude. Um, and he was always nice to me. Uh, but yeah, he, uh, he, but he had, I would say that that's a fair assessment. I would say that 50 to 60% of JBL character was John Bradshaw Layfield. Yes. Do you think that his character there in 2000, we'll say 2004 to 2006, because that was really when he was really you know, prevalent with that character. Do you that type of character, you think that could work current product or is that kind of one of those things where you kind of have to, you know, tippy toe around a little bit? Oh, you got to tippy toe. He stamped it. I mean, he, he did. He stamped that. I mean, you, you come out now in a, in a stretched white limo with horns on it coming out of the sunroof. I mean, I mean, that's, 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 uh, yeah, everybody would know that was just a straight rip off. You know what I mean? You, yeah. you could do something similar to that, but it would have to be totally different in a, in, in, especially in today's world. Um, because that, that character would actually be tough, a tough buy 
in my opinion, for, for today's wrestling. Yeah. You know, and we'll talk about that. His match with Eddie Guerrero at judgment day, 2004, <laughs> when we're back in our third count of this week. Judgment Day 2004, May 16th, from your home, we'll, we'll call it your home arena, Brian, because it's a Staples Center again. Another match that you had at the Staples Center in L.A. Maybe we just start calling you, you know, Hollywood or something, right? Just call me the Staples Center boy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Why not? So 18,722 fans before these uh, for this pay-per-view taking on Eddie Guerrero for the WWE championship. Dude, the story between Eddie and JBL 2004. I don't think there's a better, there was a better storyline in WWE at this time. No, there wasn't. I mean, and, and you know, there, there was incredible heat behind JBL this time mm -hmm. um, because of the fact that uh, the people that don't realize what, what happened uh, to lead up to this, you know, JBL would go to the border and beat up Mexicans um, and do vignettes on this. Um, it, it, it got so brutally bad heat-wise when we would do house shows, and I'm not even kidding you. JBL would say, I'm going to look forward this way, and you're going to stand behind me, and you're going to look that way. And if anybody jumps, you get them that way, and I jump this way. It got bad, and we had jumpers nightly. Yeah. Trying to come in that ring and try and kill his ass. So – if you want to create heat, like you said earlier in the show, watch some JBL shit. You'll yeah. get some heat. Because I don't, I don't think when I, because I saw this live. This is really when I was really, real, excuse me, really into the business. And I, you know, I had arguments with my buddies because I tried to compare JBL to some dastardly heel from the past. And you really, you couldn't. The only guy that came to my mind was Roddy Piper. When he was when he was really good as a heel, did the stories go back? He's getting stabbed in the ring, and that was prototypical with JBL at this time. He even gave Eddie's mother a, a, a heart attack before this match. Yeah, uh, that was in um, that uh, was in uh, that was in Texas. No, uh, yeah, it was. It was um, man, was it El Paso? Was it uh, it was Houston? El Paso. It was, it was okay. El Paso. Yeah, I mean, it was a it was a smaller right. smaller venue that we packed out, uh, probably three four thousand. Uh, which you know, now today, man, it's a great crowd, and it was then too. I mean, you know, um, but yeah, it was uh, phenomenal, just phenomenal. So obviously, we talked about his his heel rank, but in this era, but you can't really two thousand four. You can't really find another like actual you know full-blown heel at this time to even compare to jbl and yeah. it's it, it just it, it goes to show how good he actually was at creating that that go away heat we want you to get away go away did people just think it's so real that they're jumping the guardrails you know they're trying to get at him yeah this 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 time right here and then this program really put JBL on a roll where he knew what he needed to do. Um, th this was a great time for him. Um, just 
when he did, when he got it, like he got it, he understood it. He understood how to put matches together where they made the baby face, the baby face and him, the fucking heel. Uh, this was a great time, great time for JBL. And I think it all, this is where it all clicked for him. I think it all just, just all came together for him. And it was um, awesome to watch and awesome to see him grow um, as that single competitor from, you know, when he left uh, the APA and they mm-hmm. split Ron and him up. So just a just a, a, a great little stretch, in my opinion, um, of where he really, truly, in my opinion, gets it. Yeah. Now, how how much, you know, JBL's on record saying this in some interviews and some shows that he credits Eddie with a lot of the credit for this feud, for him being the champion that he was for this run in general. He gave a lot of credit to Eddie. You've worked with Eddie a lot. We did an episode, go back in the archives, listen to it again. How much did you know going into this match or was, or were they basically off in the corner saying, Hey, this is what we're going to do. No, no. Uh, you know, in what aspects you mean, like in other words, well, well, how much did you, were they calling it in the ring? Were they in back saying, okay, you know, you get, this is the beginning, this is the middle, this is the end. Or were they just no, they, say, screw it. We're going in the no, ring. No, 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 no. They called mostly everything except for the heat. Um, and the heat was basically just JBL calling the heat. Uh, you know, they, they, they had to plan it out because Eddie was such a different wrestler than, than JBL. And, uh, you know, and a lot of people probably thought this match was going to be the shits, but I mean, because of two of the, two of the different classic styles that they both had, right. uh, JBL being a slow, methodical guy with Eddie Guerrero being a, you know, up and down flyer kind of thing. Um, but you know, Eddie could do anything. Eddie could do anything. Eddie could do anything. And, and I think the reason why he credits, you know, Eddie, Eddie for so much of him is because Eddie did that to everybody. You know, like you said, you go back and you listen to the podcast on, on Eddie that we did. Eddie made me better, you know, mm-hmm. and, and he, he, he just did that. Eddie was uh, just, just really one of those guys, man, that just could elevate everyone. And uh, that, that, that didn't go to any exception for JBL. So, I mean, that, 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 I mean, if it, if you, we do a podcast that we did a while back and you hear the same thing and then you hear the same thing again out of somebody else we're doing a podcast on, then it's probably going to be pretty true. Yeah. So Eddie was the man. Eddie was the man as far as making and elevating people. I mean, that's just a, that's just a, that's a fact. And I know this, uh, that, you know, I know that JBL was extremely, extremely excited to, to, to work with Eddie and do this program. And Eddie did a lot to uh, lay down and give, what they wanted to make this rivalry a robbery. You know, he let his, his heritage be uh, uh, insulted. He let, you know, things happen that in his personal life being salting. Um, so he, he did all this willingly just because he cared about making money and, and, and drawing a house. And back in those days, if you remember, um, this building was sold out. Uh, for us. And this was a very exciting time for the SmackDown brand because we were absolutely 100% completely split. Mm-hmm. And this was a SmackDown show that went to Los Angeles and sold out the Staples Center. Uh, so it was, it was contributed to the Eddie and JBL feud. And mm-hmm. that was phenomenal for us. We all in our locker room and we were all excited, you know, and of course they let us know as soon as they knew that it was a sellout, we all just went berserk, you know, and I just thought it was wonderful because we weren't selling out a lot of stuff. I mean, we were, we were having big crowds. We weren't selling out a lot of stuff. And of course you look on the other side and we're all selling out 
you know, pretty much every night, uh, either either Raw itself or their their pay per view. So it was a big it was a big momentum uh, like momentum boost, I would say for for the locker room for Eddie for JBL um, and, and for like even the writers on the show. So just a big big huge moment for that pay per view. You know, to, to start this match, you're seeing a lot of work outside. They didn't get into the ring that quickly. Was that part of their plan or was it just kind of feeling the fans out and saying, hey, we're going to we're going to brawl outside before we even get in the ring? No, that was set up um, uh, very, very much so uh, because of the fact that that feud <sighs> was so heated that they wanted to show and wanted to prove that they were going to beat the living fuck out of each other. Mm-hmm. And the way to put that over to the crowd is this ring ain't big enough. We're going to go out here and we're just going to beat the shit out of each other. And um, that was, that, that was the plan. That was the idea. And what the, the, the story behind it was, we're just going to kill each other. I don't care where it's at. We don't care about rules. We don't care about anything. Mm-hmm. You know, and they even, you even saw that too, because you get your classic uh, ref bump there when Eddie runs into you, when he goes to uh, go off the ropes, uh, how much did you know was it going to be just what happened or was it supposed to happen a different way uh, as far as the bump goes? Well, no, actually, I, I'll be honest. I'll remember this day and never forget. Um, I was just tired of doing the same old rep bumps, um, mm-hmm. squisher in the corner, clothesline, you know, whatever it may be. And I went to Eddie and I said, look, this is a big day. This is a big moment. And um, I, I, I want something different. I want, I want something to come out of the blue and really, just be something that nobody saw coming. Nobody saw being set up. Um, just something. Do you have any ideas? And he's the one that came up with that ref bump. And I'll never forget that because I don't think anybody's ever done it again. Um, and if they have, it hasn't been to the way we did it. Right. Um, so I contribute that bump to him. And I've never used it since that. I really haven't. I've never pitched it. Nothing like that. Because I just feel like that's Eddie's bump. Eddie came up with that, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy about that. And I think that should be, you know, one of my little contributions to him was just doing what he asked me to do. And I, and I thought it was a brilliant idea. Brilliant idea, and it did come out of the blue. You know, another <sighs> thing that this match was known for, too, was this – Eddie's bleeding a gusher after he takes that head shot from the chair from JBL. Was yeah. – because I'm to this day, I'm still trying to figure out what the hell happened. Was that legitimate or did he zip? Uh, no, this, this was, uh, no. And that's a lot of, that was a lot of blood. Yes. Um, well, I'll just go on record and tell you, I've never, ever in my life seen that much blood in, in, in a match in my life. It was puddles. It was pools of water throughout the entire ring, throughout the entire pads around the outside. Um, it was, it was brutal. It was brutal. And, um, I, I don't have the strongest stomachs and it, it, it made me kind of gag quite a few times, uh, just because it was just too overwhelming. And I remember also having to smack the mat and blood would fly in my face from the, uh, canvas. Uh, it was, it was, it was, it was brutal. It was brutal. And it was, it was, it wasn't naturally done. No, if that's your question. No. So was there, were you getting somebody talking your ear worried about Eddie at that point? Cause he was bleeding that much. Well, yeah, I was, they- asked, I was asked several times. Uh, was yeah. he okay? Because he did become started to be lightheaded. 
and he assured me that he'd be okay, but he is being lightheaded. Yeah. And of course, uh, you know, I Iggy uh, JBL to let him know that, you know, he's, he's a little froggy on the legs. And, um, he says, uh, you know, to me, you know, what does he want to do? And he, I said, well, what, did, what, what, what the fuck do you think Eddie said? And he says, oh, okay, I got you. Because meaning he knows Eddie's not going to give up and Eddie's going to do whatever he's got to do. And he's not going to want right. to go home early. He's going to want to finish this match. He's going to want to do it. Eddie's the way Eddie wants to do it. And um, that's where we were. So we had to just trust in him and uh, go go through the motions. Yeah. All right. So we, we see JBL really taking it to you to wake you up, to make the count. Because, you know, he, he, he wants to win the title, man. So you get up and you see little Nate comes in. Charles Robinson comes down, counts the near fall. Then JBL goes for second clothesline misses. And, but he takes out Charles. Holy shit. Was this Charles idea to take the clothesline? Oh, Charles will take anything. Oh my God. It was, I absolutely love him. He's the best. Well, second best next to you, of course, but. Well, no, Charles is good, man. Charles is one of the best. <laughs> But no, Charles will take anything. He's like me, man. He wants to look like a sick fucking train wreck. Yeah. And he, probably, he I, I wouldn't put it past him. I wouldn't have put it past him, uh, Charles to say, hey, bring it. It's fine. I'm good. Yeah. You know, so, and JBL will bring it. I, I've taken hundreds probably. Uh, you know, I don't, maybe more, maybe short myself of clotheslines. And I can tell you right now, I dreaded every freaking one of them. Uh, but it is what it is, man. But no, he, he cleaned his clock. He did. So you, you've taken bumps from Undertake. You've taken bumps from JBL. Which one's the worst? Oh, JBL. Yeah. Taker takes care of me. Yeah. JBL don't give two shits. Well, but but it's so hard. I think it's so, is it so hard to do like with the clothesline to kind of not, you know, hold back because you want to make it look good? Well, there's different types of clotheslines. I mean, so Bradshaw's clothesline from hell was one where you, he drove you down. So he followed through down. Right. Um, as opposed to just going through you. Mm -hmm. um, there's a, there's a huge difference. Cause when you go through you, you can do it lighter and it won't be so impactful. Um, where JBLs, you almost have to, you, you just got to know you're going to get the, you know, get the shit hit out of you. Um, and it, it is what it is, man. I mean, like, you know, I'm not, I'm not bitching at all. Or right, 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 right. That he's stiff. He's not stiff. He's, he's, He's giving his finish, and his finish is required. It's called a clothesline from hell for some reason. Right. And it's not because it's a regular clothesline. If it was a regular clothesline, everybody would just shit on it. Right, right. Um, it was a clothesline from hell. So it was one of those ones where – and he also hits the rope as he does. Right. It's not just one out of – you know, it's not one out of the blue. So, no, it's just a different style. But, no, takers was definitely easier <laughs> to take. Right, 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 right. Uh, so <laughs> we, we see you DQ Eddie here for hitting JBL with the title, but Eddie takes – takes a chair shot and a lot of outside shenanigans. Was this more of, Hey, we knew what this was going to, this was going to be the ending all along, or were you stopping it early because you, we see Eddie's bleeding so much. Uh, was it, or was it just basically as DQ because you wanted the story to continue? No, it was all story. Yeah. It was all story. It was about, you know, just, you, you know, once again, the, the feud was so hot you almost don't want to see it in. And right. I think, like you said, this was a way of continuing it and a way of following up on it because, you know, everybody shit on the DQ that was in the place. I know they did because I remember hearing it. Um, but what better way to get people hot and want to see Jay, uh, Eddie kick his ass again? 
So that's that's the, the way we did it. And I I honestly think it was a smart finish, honestly, right. a smart finish. We, we, we even saw JBL get busted after the uh, bell sounds from a chair shot outside the ring. Was that on the fly or was that part of the, the talk that they had backstage? No, that was by design as well. Yeah. Uh, we want we wanted both men bleeding. We want to we want both of them bleeding. We want both of them to look beat up, brutal, uh, knocked down, drag out. We wanted we want that's what we wanted. We wanted to mm-hmm. tell that story. Do these guys beat the shit out of each other? They don't like each other, um, and that, that 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 was the way to do that, I, I, in my opinion. So yeah, you know, we wanted both guys bleeding. We wanted them both to look like a like a mess, and 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 have that match look like a war, mm-hmm. and have it in on the DQ, just giving people blowing out of their minds. What the fuck, you know? And mm-hmm. then we want to go back and get the payoff. So. So this Eddie JBL feud, this whole storyline that they had their whole careers, where would you rank this as far as best feuds of all time? Would you rate it, rate it top five, top 10, top 20? Well, it's, so it's, it's older now. It's, you know, right. it's, it's, you know, it's not something current that current fans that may be listening now or current fans that are, watching wrestling now um to me yes it's up there it's up there as a top few that's ever gone on um but like i said you know you ask somebody much younger than me and they're gonna say they either a don't know about the feud or b um thought it was okay because because mm-hmm. wrestling has evolved so much but if you were sit, you know if you're gonna sit at home with nothing to do and just wanted to take time and watch this feud, this whole feud unfold. Um, it, it, it's hard not to be one of the top feuds. It really is. It was some good shit. Well, even just the, watch SmackDown and these pay-per-views from, you know, we're talking, what, 2004 to at least 2005, unfortunately, when uh, Eddie passed, probably about a year in uh, November of 05, but this is May of 04. Pretty much the summer, it was a summer-long feud. It really was. It was fantastic. I remember watching it. Um, but with JBL, you think he's going to be remembered as the singles character, or do you think he's going to be remembered uh, from uh, APA more? I, I would. I would honestly have to say the APA man uh, because mm-hmm. that 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 gimmick was so over. Um, like I said, they they didn't need titles. They didn't need championships because, in my opinion, people would come to go to the Richmond Coliseum because they were there and, and they didn't have to be advertising a match. They could just say they were going to do, they would do an in-ring. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. they put the door up and let's do the gimmick and it would be just wonderful to watch. So no, I just, I, I think in my opinion, me personally, I remember him as a single guy. Um, I think that, that cause I, cause I watched the guy grow as a single character and I watched him grow as a wrestler and I watched him grow as, as a, a guy that, thought and looked at how matches should be laid out and it just really grew. So to me, it meant more because a, I was his friend and B I'm in the business mm-hmm. and uh, you know, it, I just, for me, I'll remember it that way. Mm-hmm. But I know a lot of people, in my opinion, your question would be that they're going to probably remember APA John Bradshaw, I feel then they will JBL. But no, I, I seriously implore anybody that's listening to this now or in the future or whatever go to the Peacock, go to wherever you get your wrestling, watch this match uh, from 2004, watch all their matches together in 2004, because you're not going to find a better 
better, like you said, a better feud at this time, better group of matches at this time than what JBL and Eddie had. Even you can do your JBL and John Cena matches, JBL and Kurt Angle matches. JBL was just so damn good, and he doesn't get the proper recognition, I think, for being as good as he was. I don't, I, I don't either, but you know what? There's a there's a, there's people that are always going to argue his style. You know what I mean? Yep, sure. Because he was old school. Yeah. Um, his matches were laid out just just the meat and potatoes, and that's what it was. Not meat and potatoes thrown in some biscuits, thrown in some fucking donuts. You know what I mean? Like it was just meat and potatoes and just good old school wrestling, good old school heat. Um, just, you know, just good stuff. And uh, like I said, the, the biggest thing for me was just watching him grow and being in the ring with him as he grew. It was just absolutely an honor and just, just wonderful to work with him. Exactly. So that's going to do it for this week's episode, Brian. Absolutely loved talking everything JBL. Big fan of his from the beginning to the end. But next week, I, I, I can't wait till next week. I can't wait, wait till each and every episode we talk about. But next week, we're going to be talking everything Gail Kim. Hopefully, we'll have the honor of having her on like we did last week. Uh, talk everything women's wrestling, everything impact. Craig, man, I, I have... I'm, I'm, I'm giddy. <laughs> and I, I don't get that often, but I just absolutely love everything Gail Kim. Yes, I do too, man. Um, what, what a, what a great person and a great friend of mine and, uh, what a pioneer for women. Um, and she's a very, 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 very proud person, um, of where the women have gone and, and, and um, she, th- this is going to be really good. Um, and I can't wait to just like open the mic up and just let her talk and mm-hmm. let her just, um, really explain to her or, or, or to you guys what women's wrestling means to her. Cause I can tell you right now, and I'm not going to go in further because that's, that's for next week, but sure. man, you talk about a, a proud, a proud, um, caring, uh, deep into women's wrestling. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. And can't wait for you guys to hear it because, uh, it's going to be something. Yeah. So if you haven't subscribed by now, I don't know what you're waiting for. Head over to wherever you're listening to this, wherever you get your podcast, subscribe to Reffin' Up with Brian Hebner. We're on all the major podcasting networks. Just head over to castby.com slash Reffin' Up. They're all right there. Socials are there. Um, we're at Reffin' It Up on Instagram and Twitter. Brian, what's, uh, just remind everybody what your credentials are. All right, well, let me just start with saying I want to thank A.J. McKay for our, our, our new opening. Um, he had to change some stuff because, obviously, I'm not current Impact referee anymore. Uh, so thank you for his time and for the baddest-ass opening in, in, in podcasting world. Um, so, A.J., thank you, buddy. I really do appreciate it. And you can head over and check A.J. out. Um, uh, R.J. has that information, but... It'll be in the show show notes, but I can give it to you right now. It is at uh, ajmckaycreative.com. You'll see all his fantastic work. I literally go there probably semi-daily, if not daily basis, to actually listen to some of his stuff. You're watching TV now. You're probably going to hear his voice, his work on these commercials now. I guarantee you. Absolutely phenomenal. I actually just listened. I listened to the uh, open each, even before I added it. I listen to it each and every week before we, we restart recording because it's that badass. All right. Now you're being a mark. Well, okay, sure. Well, I'm just kidding. <laughs> cause I, cause I listen to it too. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, so, so, so thank you very much to him. And, um, yeah, so, uh, none of my social media stuff has actually changed. So you guys can follow me at, at baby Hebner on Twitter and also Instagram. And, uh, I have no schedule to tell you about. So, uh, I, 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 am not going anywhere and, um, I'll be at home. I would give you my address if I thought it would be helpful, but I'm not giving anybody my address. Um, mm. so yeah, I'm good. So I don't have anything going on. Just awesome. this podcast. There you go. And my family. Hit the ground running. Grip it, grip it and rip it, Brian. So until next week, thank you so much for tuning in. Listen to this in each and every episode. And we'll see you right here on Reffing It Up with Brian Hebner next week. One, two, three.